Hey weirdos, it's Riley speaking. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, Dan and I have been recording the weird entirely remotely, meaning that we've never been in the same room for any single episode of the weird to date. This week we have a special guest, and we're very excited about that guest, but unfortunately, because we were in three different locations, the audio on our guest's track isn't what it could be. However, we found the episode to be so engaging and interesting that we've decided to go ahead and publish it anyway. So, I hope you'll forgive the audio deficiencies. I think in the end, you'll find it worth it. Let's do this. Is that a made-up song? No, that's a Kenny Rogers classic. Uh, Dolly Parton wrote the lyrics. Kenny sang it 1974 on his album. Yeah, on his album Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks. That's just kind of snake, is it not? It is. uh, That killed Kenny Rogers' father. All right. Look, Riley, uh, this is a very special episode of The Weird, isn't it? How so, Dan? Well, we have a very special guest, our first guest on our show. I know, I'm excited. Would you like me to tell you who it is? Yeah, tell me, tell me. Well, I know, but tell everybody. So he's a friend of our show, a, a dedicated listener. He's also an actor in theater and film and, and television. You can check him out on IMDb if you so desire. He was a pivotal uh, uh, character in the movie Metal Tornado. It's very true. Um, he's also in a band called A Mix of Sun and Cloud, and their new single is uh, is streaming on all streamers, all of them, Riley. Okay, uh, he's an old friend of ours. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but we have known uh, this gentleman for gosh, almost 25 years. At least I have. Same here. And um, he's also my parents' neighbor, and Lastly, he's a husband and the father to three children. Everybody, I'd like to uh, welcome uh, Sean Tucker to The Weird. Hello, Sean. Hello, gentlemen. Riley, Dan, thank you very much for having me. I love the show. I'm so excited about doing this. We are so glad that you joined us. You are our first ever guest. It's an important moment. We've crossed the threshold. It's a huge honor. Huge honor. Yeah, so Sean is one of uh, one of uh, my close friends. I know Riley, you and Sean had a uh, a running battle for years. We're rival gangs, right? It was a a rival gang thing. Do you want to know the first time I ever saw Sean was on stage uh, in, in a play at university where we all studied theater? And I remember he was. It was a show that I don't know. I think it was set in the seventies, Italian reconciliation wedding or something. And anyway, I just remember sitting in the audience and going, "Fuck, man! Couldn't they find that poor guy some pants that fit?" <laughs> I remember that. They were, they were terrible. Yeah, they were. I still have nightmares. The circulation is just finally starting to come back in my lower extremities after those pants. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. I've carried that memory with me my whole life. I believe that's called trauma. Yeah. yeah. Sean. Yes. Of all the films you've done, mm-hmm. which is your most memorable? My most memorable? For real. What is your, what's your favorite film that you ever made? And I know you've done some fun ones. I don't know. Uh, that's a that's a good. You're catching me off guard here, Dan. Uh, I, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind was a good one. That was my first I was, one. I was going to ask if that was yeah. That was I a don't good have one. a big part in that, but it was uh, it was very. You got punched in the face, didn't you? Or, or, or by an Academy Award by, winner? Yeah, by Sam Rock. Yes. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, that was good. That was a long time. It's hard to, <laughs> when you say the first movie you ever did was your favorite, it, it's certainly one of the most memorable, probably just because of the experience of actually being on a set and not knowing what the hell I was doing and who I was working with. George Clooney directed it. So that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a new experience because I came from theater. So the fact that people talked so low and it was so subtle compared to what I was used to, it, it, it kind of, uh, yeah. It kind of burned into my memory, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have a fit. I've never really thought about that. Uh, I mean, s- some of the best experiences I've had, the most fun I've had making movies were something like Metal Tornado, which no offense to anyone out there is not a great film. Uh, but uh, We had a lot of fun making it. Uh, and that's usually the case. The more fun you have making a movie, probably the worse it's going to yeah. be. <laughs> right. Where was where was uh, that movie shot? Was that a Canadian premiere? It all oh, was Metal Tornado. Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, it was filmed in Ottawa. Oh, you just filmed? Didn't you just film something with Mel Gibson? Uh, I did Fat Man, which is the Santa Claus movie. I didn't actually have any scenes with Mel. My my scenes were all with Walton Doggins uh, from The Shield and uh, a bunch of other movies. And uh, he's a great actor. So uh, I just had a couple of scenes in that. Um, But yeah, that was a lot of fun. The two guys who directed that were amazing. The the Nelms brothers. Cool. And that was shot in Elmont, Ontario, correct? Parts of it were, yeah. My, Where all uh, those Hallmark movies are shot? Yeah, and I've been in uh, a ton of those as well. And if you ever get the chance, you, the there's a thing on uh, YouTube called Cut for Time, SNL, and there's one that makes fun of the Ottawa-made Hallmark movies. Yes. It is amazing. Yeah. Have Jace, uh, James Franco basically plays, they call him uh, like Canadian Christmas tree our canadian uh canadian handsome and his name's like something like johnny bear stick or something bears <laughs> it's it is hilarious so it's definitely worth, it's worth checking out for sure it's very funny all right so you have uh you have something you wanted to share with us you are an expert uh you uh, dove down to the titanic several times correct and not even in a submersible uh, with water wings, actually. I, only, I got about five feet down. It was very cold. Uh, and they kept bringing me back to the surface. And after the 17th or 18th attempt, I thought, this is pointless. We were just talking about the Titanic, right? We were just talking about that like two weeks ago. Well, you guys, you guys have talked about it a few times. As you know, I've, I listened to the show, uh, a dedicated listener. So... Uh, I uh, I love it. I love what you guys do. And I'm not just kissing your asses. I genuinely do. It's one of those things where I'll be honest and you both know what I'm talking about. I originally started listening because you guys were my friends. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you might listen to one or two things, but I've honestly listened to every episode. Oh my God, wow. Not only are you guys my friends, but th- this is great. What you guys are doing is is great. I was actually filming last week in Montreal and I because of the pandemic I was stuck in a hotel and uh not much to do and I was going to bed at night and I usually like to listen to a podcast uh when I'm going to bed to kind of wind down and I was listening to Riley's Nazi bunker thing and I, I actually had to turn it off because it scared me i'm like half, halfway through with with the goat's head and all that i'm like i can't I, I can't do this right now i'm gonna have bad dreams so i had to actually turn it off but it was great yeah that was a bit i think that's our darkest one that that's a bad one the trans algany one was pretty dark too but uh yes and i can actually say it right dan uh i can't <laughs> trans allegheny i did it Trans Allegheny, right? You you got it, and I still can't say colloquially. <laughs> hey, uh, so you want to talk about the Titanic? Just a few ground rules. Um, they're not mine; they're more Riley's. Please, no mention of uh, ugly mountains because that will set him off. And you you can't see this when you're listening to our show. He gets angry and I feel threatened often when I bring, you know, like the Rockies up, which 
Riley will tell you are terrible mountains. No, so you 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 want to talk about the Titanic, and I have to say this before you get going that I've also like as a kid, I was so enthralled with it, so I'm super excited, and I know you know a lot more about it than than the average person, so I'm really excited to hear what you have to tell. So, Sean, the the the, the floor is yours. Okay, well, um, I I will say you said I was a, a Titanic expert, and I w- I would definitely I would say enthusiast, maybe that's good. An aficionado, uh, perhaps, but um, not an expert. There's a lot of people out there, like the Titanic Historical Society, and people like that that have dedicated their lives to this. Yeah, I, uh, I already. That's already way more than I know. The Oracle Society, Titanic <laughs> Historical Society. So people like that uh, live and breathe it. Um, I I'm fascinated with it. Always have been. So uh, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about it. So. Essentially, I'll give you a little bit of my history with the Titanic. It it basically dates back to me being like six years old. And this was back in a time when uh, children played a little game called outside. (laughs) You know, where where your parents would actually open the door in the morning and throw you outside and tell you to come back for dinner. Uh, You know, people weren't sitting around playing Fortnite and Nintendo all day or on their phones and YouTube and stuff. So um, it was a different time. And my grandfather is Scottish, was Scottish. He's passed away since uh, from Glasgow, roughest part of Glasgow, the Gorbals. And he was a plasterer by trade. And he used to come over to our house. And when he came over, he would, he was a great man. He used to just tell stories. And like I said, I got, I need to, interge- I got uh, almost beat up in Glasgow. Yeah, that'll happen. And I could see why. Knowing you, I totally understand that. I just ordered drinks for Marion and I, and the guy insulted Marion and me, and I was smart enough to go, okay, we're leaving. It's a rough city if, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I can't really defend that. It it can be rough, certain parts of it, and you catch the wrong person in the wrong mood. It's it's, And uh, I was wearing my yay Catholicism shirt, and I'm wondering if that had something to do with it. Well, if you were in a certain part of Glasgow, which is predominantly uh, Catholic, and the other half is Protestant, uh, and they don't like each other very much, it, it would be a problem. And my England ball cap. Oh, perfect. You're lucky. Do you know, I really, I really now, I'm, I have to go and make myself a yay Catholicism t-shirt. Yay Catholicism. <laughs> Please, you do need to do that. All right, so... Uh, you were saying I interjected. I apologize. That's okay. I know it's going to happen many, many times. This is going to be 14 hours. Uh, it will actually last the same length as the journey of the Titanic. Probably. Uh, it's definitely going to be longer than the actual sinking. Um, so he used to, my grandfather would come over and he would just tell stories about, you know, his life and different things. And, uh, you know, the war, I know you're fascinated with, uh, you know, war and stuff like that, Dan. Um, and he would talk about ships being built, um, because his parents were Irish, um, or one of his parents was, um, and he would talk about shipwrecks. And one day he just started talking about the Titanic and I was just completely captivated, like just hooked right away. And anytime I saw him after that, all I wanted to hear about was the Titanic. And I remember distinctly when I was six, TV movies used to be a big deal. It was like a Sunday night event. They would have the TV movies, Riley nodding his head. Yes. And it was a big deal. So there was a two part series called SOS Titanic and it had, uh, it was one of those things where they always had the big stars of the day. So this one had David Jansen from like the uh, the the fugitive. Cloris Leachman played like Molly Brown. Ian Holm, Bilbo Baggins was actually Bruce Ismay. It was basically like a tragic version of the Love Boat. Um, you know, where they just had the biggest stars of the day on this. And after I watched that, I was fascinated uh and then 1980 this movie comes out called raise the titanic yes uh i made my dad take me to see it this is before the titanic was found uh and i made my dad take me to see it opening night and i know riley has mentioned before that his dad i think you said was a big clive custler fan is that correct he loves those books yeah so he wrote dirk pitt is the the protagonist in those books and he wrote the raise the titanic book um 
So I went to see it and I was such a Titanic geek already by age seven. I remember sitting in the theater, shaking my head at one part because they're looking for the Titanic and they're getting close, but they haven't quite found it, but they have a metal detector and they find this cornet, like a trumpet basically. And they bring it up to the surface and they clean it up and it has an inscription to Graham Farley, the cornet player, the cornet player on the Titanic. And I'm just sitting there shaking my head. And my my father was like, what? What's the problem? I'm like, at seven, I'm like, the Titanic only had, there was no orchestra. There was only a band. There was only a string set. There was no horns or anything like that. That's, that's not right. True or false. They had, they had an electric guitar player. They did. And yes. And DJ Jazzy Jeff was also on. Wow. Uh, they had a DJ. That is true. Um, but no, my dad was just like, he's like, okay, great. My son's a geek. Uh, amazing. Uh, so, and Dan, I also remember you talking about the Al Capone vault special. Uh, and you talked about that Titanic special. And I remember that distinctly. It was Telly Savalas that hosted it. The the Titanic one? The tele- Titanic special. And they brought up artifacts from the what Titanic. What are they going to find in here, baby? What an amazing impersonation. That was, you could just pick up his career right now, Dan. <laughs> yes, do it, Dan. Do it. Uh, and uh, to the point when the movie Titanic, the James Cameron one came out, and people have differing opinions on that, but I was super excited because I saw the trailer and how realistic the sinking and the ship breaking in half looked that my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, they had a special screening of it at the Rideau Center. And I called all the radio stations to try to get tickets to this. No one would give me a ticket. And my wife, the girlfriend at the time, actually walked over to the Rideau Center and begged them for two tickets. And they gave us two tickets. So I saw Titanic before it actually came out. Oh. Uh, and, and I was just absolutely like, you know, the love story. You can say what you want. I mean, at the time, I was, just, I was just mesmerized by like the second half of the movie. When it hits the iceberg, it was it was amazing. It's still amazing to watch. It's probably the best it's been captured on screen um tucker can i ask you a quick question sure. there was another miniseries done right about five or six years ago i have it but i haven't watched it should i watch it yes it's very good it's the julian Fa- fellows of the guy who does uh down abbey does it yes i love that special one because it doesn't try to to be like the other titanic movies and it's an hour long but it's four parts but it shows boarding, being on the voyage, hitting the iceberg and the sinking from different characters' perspectives in each episode. So it keeps jumping back and forth, but it's done in a really, really creative, cool way. Cool. Beautiful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. Uh, and Toby Jones is in it, who I love. Uh, so great actor. Um so for tonight, I mean, I am going to talk about the Titanic, but I mean, there's a million books, TV specials, documentaries that you can watch uh, that will tell you the basic story of the Titanic. And I mean, it's um, it's a huge thing. Everybody knows about the Titanic for people that don't. It was a British passenger liner owned by the White Star Line was crossing from Southampton to New York on April the 14th. It hit an iceberg two and a half later, sank not enough lifeboats, great loss of life, 2,224 people on board, and more than 1,500 people died. There was basically about, it ranges from, people say, 703 to, to 710 survivors. Um, and it did change the world in a lot of ways, like class structure and that sort of thing. So safety, you know, precautions when it comes to, you know, travel. Uh, so it was a, it was a big deal. So people know all that. Do you know what? I didn't know all that. I actually thought um, more people died. I thought there were less survivors. No. <laughs> nope. nope. <laughs> I mean, here's, the, here's the interesting thing, because it was the maiden voyage, I should but there was the first time the ship had ever sailed and the last time, obviously, but uh, the capacity of the ship was actually about 3,400 mm. and uh, it wasn't at capacity when it sank. So it actually could have been quite a bit worse. I mean, it was tragic, obviously what happened, but were there, were there unfinished parts of the ship? Uh, no, I mean, they did. Uh, I mean, they were constant. The guy who, 
was the architect of the ship was Thomas Andrews. So the first ship, and we'll get to it in a minute, there was three of them. The first one was the Olympic. It had been sailing for a year and it had made a bunch of voyages. And he would travel back on f- and, f- and forth on that ship and, and make notes about, you know, uh, how much deck room are the lifeboats taking up? Are people using the promenade decks? How's the Turkish bath get, you know, stuff like that. So he took all that information and then made, alterations uh the olympic actually had a like a single keel a single bottom and it had had an accident which i'll talk about so they put a double bottom into the titanic not that it really did much good uh but um yeah so it was finished uh you know that part in the movie where rose is talking about you know the bed sheets had never been slept in and the paint you could still smell the fresh paint like that that's actually pretty factual it was uh Came just off the the assembly line and was ready to go, basically. Cool. It had to do sea trials, but yeah. So the approach I kind of want to take tonight, because, and feel free, these questions are great. So I love them. Feel free to ask questions at any time. Uh, but since people know the basic gist of what it is and keeping in tune, you know, in the theme of your podcast, I kind of wanted to talk about things that people don't necessarily know about the the ship kind of strange occurrences weird things coincidences uh as you know those poets the cnc music factory and freedom once said maybe things that make you go hmm okay getting back to the titanic well uh my first exposure i had to it was like i said my grandfather the first book i ever read on the titanic is probably the most famous book ever written about the titanic which is a night to remember by walter lord uh and i will show you this i actually this is my original copy and the pages are like yellow and kind of moldy i've had this since i was a child and brought it with me everywhere i've gone i love this book uh so and it's a great account of what happened that night. It doesn't cover what happened before or after. It's just basically about the night the ship sank. And if you haven't read it, it's a great read. But it was also the first time in the foreword or prologue, whatever you'd like to call it, uh, that I read about a gentleman by the name of Morgan Robertson. Now, Walter Lord talks about him and Morgan Robertson, and this is one of those weird things, was an American author, wrote short stories, wrote novels. And before he became an author, he went to sea uh, as a cabin boy, traveled the world, basically rose to in the merchant service from 1866 to 1899, eventually became a first mate. And one of his books was called Futility. And Futility is a book basically about a fictional ship that sank in April in the North Atlantic, there was not enough lifeboats for the passengers. Uh, his ship was 800 feet long. The Titanic was 882 feet long. Um, traveled the same speed between 21 and 26 knots. And there was not enough lifeboats on it. So it hits an iceberg in April. That 800, that 800 foot thing is important because they hadn't made ships that big ever before, right? Exactly. And that was one of the main problems was it was too big with the rudder that it couldn't turn in time. But we'll get to that. Um, for sure. Which ship? The fictional ship or the uh, the actual Titanic? I haven't read the book, uh, the Futility book, but the actual Titanic, that was a huge The From the time they spotted the iceberg to the time it hit the iceberg was 37 seconds. And that ship was almost 900 feet long. So, yeah, that's tough. Um, so basically... Yeah, it's the same circumstances. It's 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 very very similar to the Titanic, and the ship was actually named the Titan, which is even more. Oh my god! So, so pretty crazy. But the thing that's most crazy about this is Futility. This book was released in 1898, 14 years before the Titanic sank, and yeah, the Titanic I think was started being built in 1908. So basically, 10 years before the Titanic. Was that a common thing for? cruise liners to not have a lot of lifeboats though um see the problem is and it changed after that was the titanic was kind of the first of its kind you had the the canard line which had the mauritania and another well-known ship the lusitania which obviously Mm. sank during world war one um but those ships were were faster 
but I, to be honest, I don't know what the Titanic had the bare minimum amount of lifeboats that you could have. They had right. room for up to 60 lifeboats. There was actually 16 lifeboats and then four what are called collapsible boats that could be, you know, kind of canvas and they could be used as well. Um, and when the, the lifeboats were deployed, they had enough room and could hold 65 full grown men. And the, I think the first boat went away with like 12 people in it or something. Right. Because they didn't think it was going to sink. Uh, they, well, not only did they not think it was going to sink, but there was supposed to be, and we can get into this too. There was supposed to be a lifeboat drill that day and the captain canceled it. Ugh. And so the, the guys had never actually, the officers had never actually done a lifeboat drill. And so they were concerned that the Davits wouldn't hold that amount of people, that it would basically either the ship would break, the the lifeboat would break into, or it would, you know, tear off the Davits and fall into the sea. But they were engineered to hold, you know, the, sh- the boats and the Davits, which the Davits are the thing, the pulleys basically that lower it uh, into the sea. The, they were they were tested back in Belfast at the Harlan and Wove where the ship was built and they would have been fine. They could have saved a lot more lives. Wow. Almost everybody. If they had put the amount of lifeboats that they had recommended Thomas Andrews, which was close to 60, they had 20 after the sinking of the Titanic futility kind of comes back into the, it was a a novel that people, uh, it wasn't like a bestseller or anything when it, when it first came out. Now the Titanic obviously sinks and now people are like calling Robertson kind of a clairvoyant, you know, and saying that he is like precognition, which he totally denied. And he, he just basically said like, look, I spent a lot of time on ships. I've traveled the world on ships and I know how they work and I could see the way the trend was going with, you know, technological advances and shipbuilding and, you know, that sort of thing. And it just seemed like something like this was inevitable, you know, humankind kept testing the boundaries and he, he just said he saw something like this coming and, and he was right. Now, after the Titanic sank, they renamed the book futility. They renamed it to the wreck of the Titan and then it started selling a lot of copies. Oh man. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Even then. Yeah. Even then, I mean, you know, things haven't changed that much. So that, that was, I read that, that's that little story is in the beginning, much shorter abridged, obviously in the beginning of a night to remember. So I always found that interesting. There was another one that I didn't really know that much about until years later, which was, a gentleman by the name of William Thomas Steed. And he was also an author and he wrote short stories for newspapers, gazettes and that sort of thing. Uh, He wrote a story called how the mail steamer went down in mid Atlantic by a survivor. Now mail steamer, just so you know, the RMS in Titanic stands for Royal mail as in M A I L ship or steamer because they used you know you hear all the time one of the first things they knew the titanic was doomed was because the mail room was flooding they transported and delivered a lot of mail uh so that's why they were called the royal mail ships makes a lot of sense yeah riley wasn't one of your names in university the royal steamer (laughs) the royal steamer i don't even know what the joke is i don't either it just sounded right at least there was nobility involved. Um, so he, he wrote a short story called How the Mail Steamer Went Down in Mid-Atlantic by a Survivor. And that was published March of 22nd, 1886 in an issue of Paul Mall Gazette. Okay. Paul Mall? Paul Mall is in the cigarettes? Yeah, basically. Cool. Yeah. Um, so in this story, it centers around an unnamed steamer. Atlantic Ocean again, North Atlantic, passengers, crew, mail. It it hits, it collides with a bark. So a bark is basically a three-masted ship, like a sailboat, basically, like a smaller ship. It collides with that. Um, that ship sinks immediately. The 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 mail ship starts to to sink. The passengers are going nuts. There's mass pandemonium, chaos, and that sort of thing. Men are charging into the boats when they shouldn't be, much like the Titanic. You know, you had men dressing as women. I don't know if you guys knew that, but yes, to try and get into the lifeboats, that's one of the famous stories. I didn't know that. So douchey. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Basically, there was men who were. Uh, so there. Here's a, a side note. There was one Japanese passenger on the Titanic, and he survived. And he had to live in shame the rest of his life because he survived. The Japanese people thought it was like wrong. Uh-huh. That he survived, and then rumors started spreading that he was one of the the men that had dressed as a woman to get into the lifeboats, and yeah, it basically destroyed his life. Hmm. Yeah, there was a lot of people that had survivor guilt, but a lot of people that were, you know, just basically shamed. The owner, Bruce Esme, being one of them, he basically lived the rest of his life in seclusion and exile because he survived when, you know, tons of people died. So this this story basically ship sinks uh, and he put a an editorial comment at the end that said, this is exactly what may take place and will take place if liners are sent to sea short of boats. So people did kind of see this coming with the advancement in, in shipbuilding. Um, after that, like basically fast forward six years, he writes another story called from the old world to the new in which a ship called the majestic rescues a, a bunch of survivors from a ship that had struck an iceberg in the North Atlantic. And similar to the Carpathia, which is the ship that rescued the Titanic survivors. And a lot of the details, again, were very, very similar. So th- this guy basically wrote a book and a story that were both, if you put the two elements together, very similar to what happened to the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty interesting. What's more interesting is 20 years after that, April the 10th, 1912, he boards the Titanic as a first-class passenger. Oh. And end up dying in the sinking of the Titanic. And uh, Yeah, and the last reports anyone saw of him was him clinging to a raft with John Jacob Astor, who we'll talk about a little later, was the richest man on the Titanic and possibly the richest man in the world at the time. But the last anybody saw them was them freezing together on a raft. And so he ended up dying. Oh God. It's crazy. You have two guys who essentially predicted this was going to happen. The one being just even more insane just because he actually ended up dying on the Yeah. What are, it was so weird. He should have dressed like a woman. He should have. I would have. I, sh- I totally would have. I'd have been right in the closet. What would you have worn? I don't know. A, a nice frock and a wig and off you go. I always have one with me. Yeah. It just makes sense. Yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah. I mean, if you've got it with you, what are you going to do? Leave it on the ship? Exactly. That's a waste of a good wig and a good frock. And nobody wants to see that. So uh, those little stories. So uh, to give you a little bit, of, a little bit more history, you know, interlaced here with the, uh, with some of these stories, a little more history on the Titanic. So the Titanic was built in Ireland and Belfast by Harlan and Wolf shipyards. Um, the idea of the ship was conceived by Bruce Esme, who was the gentleman I was talking about, the the owner of the White Star Line, uh, and Lord Peary, who owned Harlan and Wolf. And their biggest competitor, the White Star at the time, was the Canard Line, which I mentioned earlier, who had built the Mauritania and the Lusitania, which was sunk by a German U-boat in World War I. Um, and those two ships, the Mauritania and the Lusitania, were actually the fastest ships at the time and they were very luxurious. So the white star line wanted to compete with them and decided to build three ships, which they called the Olympic class ships. They wouldn't be as fast, but they would be much larger, more opulent, more luxurious. So they weren't going to, whereas the Mauritania had won like the, the blue ribbon for speed across the Atlantic ocean for an Atlantic crossing at 26 knots, Titanic and those other two ships would be going like 21 knots. Um, so there was three ships that they built. Uh, the first one was the Titanic had two sister ship. First one was the Olympic. And that was sailing as of 1911. Titanic came second. And then the third ship was a ship that was going to be called Gigantic. <laughs> and they actually, I know. And after after the Titanic tragedy, disaster, they thought, yeah, you know, maybe that's not a great idea to, you know, draw attention to just how big these ships are. So they actually, uh, they actually changed the name of the ship from Gigantic to the Britannic. Okay. okay? Um, and that did get built? It did get built. Yes. Okay. It, if I'm not mistaken, it may have been being built. It, it was being built, I think, when the Titanic was. I'd have to check on that, actually. And I assume it was fitted with a lot more lifeboats than they had originally planned. 
<laughs> the Board of Trade and Safety and all that. There was two two inquiries, an American one and a British one, after uh, the disaster, where uh, you know a lot of blame was placed on Bruce Esme and uh, you know for uh, and Harlem Wolf for the the light boats not being you know there being enough light boats. So things were changed drastically after that. So the Britannic did in fact have enough light boats for everyone on board. Dan, did you just do coke? What was that? I just bought back a sneeze. Oh, it looked like you just did a big line of blow and you're ready to go back out on the dance floor. No, I was trying not to sneeze and then you had to bring it up. You just take, you just live that Studio 54 life. Dan's doing a little bump. Yeah. Uh, between <laughs> <and> your commentary. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I talk a little bit um staying i said like i said in, in terms of like weird things weird occurrences talk a little bit about some of the crew of the titanic there was this lady on the titanic by the name of violet jessup now she was a nurse and a stewardess which you know essentially they took care of the passengers you know like they they made them comfortable they wanted a cup of tea you know their life jacket was done. whatever they needed these people uh took care of them um she was hired uh at 21 by the royal mail line and then in 1911 she was hired by the white star line and served aboard the titanic's sister ship the olympic which was the first of those three ships to be launched now she was on board the olympic on the 20th september 1911 when an olympic left southampton and then collided with a british warship called the hms hawk it was a british cruiser uh and this ship was basically like a battering ram it was basically built to sink other ships the front of it it was to sail into other ships and ram it. Now it rammed the Olympic by accident uh, and created two large holes, one above the waterline and one below. Can I ask you a question, uh, Sean? How does a boat ram another giant boat by accident? Did they think it was um, an enemy ship? Is that what? It, no, it, it, it had something to do with the turning and the fact that the problem, like I said, with the Titanic, the Olympic, all of those ships is there'd never been ships that big before. Like it was a real pro like they, even the Titanic was going to New York. There was not a proper dock there for it to be moored. Like they just had no idea in terms of like, even these ships being out on the Atlantic and being around like ports and stuff. Uh, the Titanic, when it first took off, there was a ship called the New York and the suction from the Titanic started drawing its propeller, started drawing the New York towards it. They almost didn't make it out of Southampton. Like there was almost a collision oh. uh, the first day before it even left Southampton. So I think a lot of it just had to do with the fact that these ships were so large that people really didn't know what they were doing. You know, basically what happened was it, it was able to the Olympic turned around, went back to Southampton, had to be fixed. And I mean, nobody died, but people were obviously traumatized and she was on the ship. So a year later, she gets transferred to the Titanic. And she, after the ship hit the iceberg, she was sent up on deck to show the passengers who didn't speak English, basically how to put on their life jackets and how to, and to deal with them. Cause there was a lot of people on the Titanic who didn't speak English, third class passengers and, and that sort of thing who had no idea uh, what was going on. So her job was there's a part in the Titanic movie where Thomas Andrews basically tells the stewardess, you know, put on your life jacket and let the passengers see you doing it. Because if they see you doing it, they're going to know that they should. So she was, that was basically her job. So while she was up there, it was women and children first. One of the officers put her in a lifeboat and she was in lifeboat 16. And here's where it gets uh, pretty interesting. While she's sitting in the lifeboat, one of the officers just leans over. It's pandemonium chaos. Like the thing with the Titanic is the movie kind of does it justice, but it doesn't at the same time because mm -hmm. people actually thought the Titanic was unsinkable. It was called the ship God himself could not sink. And there was a lot of people who didn't even want to come out of their rooms because they were convinced that the ship was going to be fine. But once they started realizing like, the first lifeboat was launched an hour into this. And once they realized, oh, okay, we're in some trouble here, then people started freaking out, right? So she's sitting in a lifeboat, an officer leans over and hands her a baby. 
doesn't tell her where the baby came from, what's going on. Just hands her a baby and says, hold on to this baby. So she's basically sitting there, gets lowered onto the sea, has this baby she doesn't know. And she's taking care of it until they were picked up the next day by the Carpathia. Okay. She gets into the Carpathia. She's up there. And you had on the Carpathia, you had all their passengers and then 700 new passengers from the Titanic that were rescued. She's sitting there holding this baby. Some woman comes up to her, doesn't say a word, grabs the baby and takes off. And she didn't report it to anyone. She didn't say anything. Even after the Carpathia, like even after like they were on the Carpathia, it was very much the passengers were still divided by class. You still had the first class passengers that were treated better, the second class a little bit a little better, and then the crew and the the third class passengers were treated like crap. And she was a member of the crew, so she just basically, being you know twenty four, just sat there and went, "Okay, I'm alive. I don't know what's going on with this baby." She she basically didn't say anything, and no record of like uh, of who that baby might have been. Jumping a little ahead, there was only one record of a child in that lifeboat. Uh, and that child's name was Assad Thomas, but that wasn't the baby. Oh. And because of, like I said, there was, so you have stowaways, you have people with different identities, people, you know, I'll give you an example. There was, there was a French man who, a Frenchman who brought his two sons onto the Titanic. He was involved in a custody battle with his wife and he got on the Titanic in Cherbourg, France, and under different identities. And he has these two little kids with him, and he's trying to flee with these children to America. And then the Titanic hits the iceberg, sinks. He puts the two little kids on a lifeboat. He dies in the sinking. Nobody has any idea who these kids are. Oh, my God. So they're in New York, and... I think it was a couple of months went by and the mother is reading the newspaper, freaking out. She doesn't know what's happening. And there's a story in the newspaper talking about these two children that nobody has any idea who they are in New York, these two little French kids. And she sees a picture of her two kids, gets on a boat and obviously sails over there and is reunited with her children. Wow. Wow. That's remarkable. Yeah, to kind of give you a sense of just how insane like things were, you know, it was, I mean, you can only imagine, like you see it in a movie, but I mean, it's just mass panic. Now, were there, um, were there kids on the Titanic who lost both parents that night? Yes, there, there were like third class, there was third class children. Do you know that only one child in first class died? There was one child in first class died. Many children in third class, but there was, yeah, there were two dogs from first class survived. Like it's, it was the, you know, third class was called steerage. Yeah, they weren't even. Yeah, like to give you an idea of like how bad it it was. So the class distinctions, you know, and separation on that ship. Third class, okay, there's there's a famous photo of the Titanic wreck with the captain's bathtub. There's a hole in the side of the ship and you can see the captain's bathtub. He had his own bathtub, okay? The third class passengers, and there was something like 700, 800 of them, had two bathtubs between all of them. Yeah. That's what the conditions were like. So, um, you know, it was uh, it was pretty bad. So the baby, the woman takes off with the baby. You know, Violet Jessup gets off, ends up back in the United Kingdom, f- takes some time off. Four years pass, and World War One breaks out. She becomes a nurse for the Red Cross. Okay, um, World War One's underway. She gets stationed on the Titanic's other sister ship, the third ship in the line now, the Britannic which has now been converted from the RMS Britannic to the HMHS Britannic, which stands for Her, Ma- Her Majesty's Hospital Ship. So it was common. And you know what? I, I don't care that they're calling it that. To me, it's always going to be the gigantic. Yes. <laughs> so they actually painted it white and put two massive red crosses on it. So it was a uh, ship. So she's on the ship. Okay. So now she's been on the Olympic had that accident with the Hawks. She's been on the Titanic, which sank. And then on the morning of November the 21st, 1916, the Britannic hits an underwater mine in the Aegean Sea and sinks in 55 minutes, killing 30 of the 1,066 people on board. She survives that, okay? She had to jump like 
from the ship and suffered a head injury and was almost killed by one of the propellers because when the Titanic sank, there was enough notice that it stopped dead and they turned like stopped the ship with this. They didn't have time to stop the ship. So the propellers were still turning. It sucked in lifeboats. It was like severing limbs from people like people were apparently it was horrific, but could you imagine this was in the Aegean? Yeah. Off the coast of Greece. I don't know, yeah. So she basically, it's not it, like that's a that's a wreck that you can actually dive to. It's not that deep, but yeah, it, it basically sent. But could you imagine like being her, hearing a noise and being like standing in the hallway and you see water start coming up the hallway and you're like, ah, fuck. Not again. Well, it tells you about her character that she got back on to the Titanic, let alone the Britannica. Well, can you imagine Imagine being her friends, though? She calls you up and she's like, hey, let's go on vacation. Let's all get let's all get boat tickets or something. And let, and I'd be like, fuck you. I love you, girl, but I'm not going nowhere with you. <laughs> yes. No, really. She's She's got that. She's got a curse hanging over yeah. her. Well, it's funny you mention that because uh, I'll tell you something in a minute that kind of lines up with that a little bit. So years later, uh, she finally retires in 1920. She still went back to work for the White Star Line and sailed around the world a couple more times. Years later, she's retired. One night she's sitting at home. She gets a phone call and it's a woman on the other end of the line. And the woman asks her if she's Violet Jessup of the Titanic, to which she replies, yes. The woman on the other line, on the other end of the line, all she says to her was, I was the baby laughs and then hangs up and hangs up the phone laughs uh, laughed apparently there's been differing reports on that some say she didn't say anything others said she laughed but she hung up the phone now jessup at that time was writing her memoirs and had her biographer with her and she told him that story and told him about the baby and he says to her well it was probably just some kids in the village playing a joke pulling a prank on her and she says to him you are the first person that i've ever told about that baby Oh, sweet fucking Jesus. Oh, that's all sorts of creepy then. Yeah. She should have drowned that baby. She should have thrown the baby into the cold water. Well, I always say that because Dan and I both watched and we had very different takes on it. This show that just aired called Greenland. This fucking diabetic kid in it causes like so much loss of life. And I just like, if I was the parents, I'd be like, I love you, but I'm going to have to let you go. Your mom's fertile. We can have more kids. We're just going to start over. Just go. That's I'm Machiavellian about life, I guess. And I'm not. So I'm, I'm glad that she didn't throw that baby. And I think Greenland's a good film. Okay. Gerard Butler. You can't go wrong with a Scottish man. Um, my 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 mother loves him. She watches all those. Like, how many times can people try to take down the White House? <laughs> <laughs> I like him. I I actually like him, and I believe we talked about this already in another episode. Uh, I'm just hoping that Gerard is listening. And if you are Gerard, well, perhaps you need a sidekick in a future project. Okay, so moving on from that, two other quick mentions here uh, while we're on the topic of Violet Jessup uh, are two other crew members, one by the name of Arthur John Priest. And this kind of <laughs> this kind of lines up with what Riley was saying is so he was an Englishman, uh, a fireman and a stoker, which means he worked in the boiler rooms. He shoveled coal, basically coal into the. Uh, it's the worst job imaginable, like the worst. Yeah. Incredible heat all day. Um, Awful. And if uh, people that are listening and you guys may want to, there's a great movie. It's kind of a docudrama. It has narration, but the rest of the movie is actually a dramatic uh, feature called Saving the Titanic. And the thing I love about it is it doesn't deal with the passengers. You don't see the sinking or anything. It's completely told from the perspective of the engineers, uh, firemen, and the stokers. So it takes place completely below the decks and tells you the story of all the the men who basically kept the lights on uh, right till the end uh, and you know gave a lot of people a chance to survive and we're we're really truly heroes uh but i think you can find it on youtube actually the movie it is it's great it's very entertaining um but arthur john priest was one of those guys and he was notable for surviving five ship sinkings including the rms titanic the hmhs asturias the rms alicantara the britannic and the donegal okay so five of them 
Now, due to these incidents, Priest basically was called the unsinkable stoker. After surviving the sinking of five ships in total, one major collision, he retired. And it wasn't because he was afraid of being in another shipwreck. He basically had to retire because he said that no one wished to sail with him after five disasters. <laughs> he basically like nobody, they see me coming up the, you know, the the gangway and people are at it. They're like, F this. I'm yeah, I'm not getting on a ship with him. Well, they're a superstitious lot too, aren't they? Yeah, they well, yeah. And uh after all that, he died at 49 of pneumonia. Jeez. Oh yeah, isn't that terrible? Like oh. that and then dies. Yeah, uh, maybe I should have left that part out. Um so another guy Archie Jewell was a lookout on the Titanic and uh, he ended his shift an hour and a half before the Titanic hit the iceberg. He also worked on the Britannic with, uh, you know, Priest and Violet Jessup. Um, and he was also on the Donegal with uh, Arthur Priest. And that's actually where he died. Um, April 17th, 1917. It was, uh, it was hit with a torpedo, 12 crew members died, 29 soldiers, and he he was among them. But, uh, yeah, those those three people, Violet Jessup, um, Arthur John Priest, and Archibald Jewell, all three of them were on the Titanic and the Britannic. And both ships went and down. And both ships went down. Uh, so, I mean, you think about it, uh, does it seem that crazy? Like, you look at the, I mean, it was the main form of travel. There was a war and that sort of thing going on at the time. But, I mean, I just, the thing that's incredible to me is that these people, I mean, I guess you had to make ends meet and feed your family or whatever. But I, I don't know how you hop on another ship after surviving the first one. Like, I know for myself, I'd be like, I'm not, I'm never going near water again. Yeah. Like, uh, aside from the shower, that's that's about as close as I'm getting to water. Oh my god. Well, that's what I mean. Like that that tells you a little bit about their character that uh that they would go back, you know. And then you're right. I think a part of that has to do with the the need to feed your family, but still, these are tough people. Yeah. People of the universe, it turns out that um, we have more than enough material for one episode, so we're going to wrap it up here and come back at you with a part 2. Yes. Thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, if you like the weird or, hey, if you even love the weird, then uh, be sure to uh, to give us a follow and subscribe and rate us. And please always feel free to reach out to us. We love to hear your questions and queries. Uh, it, uh, it brightens our day when you reach out to us. So thanks, everybody. And thank you, Sean, uh, for uh, for your stories tonight. Amazing. We'll be back uh, next week with part two of this really intriguing. You know, when I first heard we were doing Titanic, I'm like, well, what's so spooky about that? But I'm uh, I'm hooked. So uh, next week we'll pick it up. So see you all then. Bye. Good night, everybody.